0: Welcome to the War in Ukraine Update from Kyiv podcast. Updates, analysis, and deep dives into warfighting, strategy, and leadership. I'm Jessica Ganawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia talking today with vladimir dubovic vladimir is an associate professor at the department of international relations at mechnikov national university in odessa ukraine vladimir focuses in his work on ukrainian foreign policy and u.s ukraine relations thanks for joining me on the podcast
1: today vladimir thank you for having me jessica
0: could you say a little bit about your background who you are and what you do
1: Sure. Uh, I am a professor of international relations in Odessa, in the Department of International Relations, and I also am a director of a small think tank uh, that we have there called Center for International Studies uh, within the university, basically. So I've been teaching now for 30 years, uh, and my areas of uh, teaching expertise is Ukraine's foreign policy, U.S. foreign policy, and theory of international relations. Uh, but among the uh, things that I study, that I research, uh, is uh, U.S.-Ukraine relations takes a special place, even though from time to time I do other subjects, like, for instance, the Black Sea security, or, generally speaking, Ukraine's foreign policy, or maybe sometimes Ukraine-Native relations as well. But uh, the closest to heart is really U.S.-Ukraine relations for a number of years. So, um in Odessa which is a really nice town on the Black Sea in the coast of Black Sea right now uh, kind of stressed because of the war obviously. the war didn't get to Odessa as such mm. uh, but it's nearby you know and they didn't get to Odessa. there is speculation that the Russians actually wanted to get to Odessa mm-hmm. maybe still do but uh, they've been prevented from, from doing that so far but uh, city has its share of uh, missiles flying and general you know, stress in cities quite high. Some people have left, who could have left, and some people left and came back. So for now, yes, Odessa is uh, relatively peaceful comparing to many parts of Ukraine, other parts of Ukraine, but uh, at the same time, is uh, also a feeling very much the heat of this war.
0: I've definitely heard of a bunch of missile strikes on Odessa, and right. I'm sure I, I don't hear about all of them. I also do remember a period of time a month or so ago when it was really unclear, and I guess there's still some uncertainty, but it was really unclear whether the Russian troops would actually really try to take take Odessa. So I can imagine that's been a pretty stressful, right. intense time. It was,
1: yeah. Still is, yeah.
0: First of all, before we actually talk about how the relationship between Ukraine and the United States has evolved from the 24th of February this year onwards, Just a bit of background and context to that relationship. So that relationship has really grown and developed a lot since Ukraine became independent from the Soviet Union in 1991. How would you characterize or view Ukraine's relationship to the United States?
1: Yeah, well, uh, actually, most of the uh, parts, most of the of the stretch of the thirty years, uh, Ukraine's uh, U.S. relations have been pretty good, uh, been mostly positive, uh, most of most mostly partnering and positive relations. Uh, early on in the '90s, uh, there was uh, some strenuous period uh, when uh, uh, the reason for that was uh, that nuclear weapons were still stationed at the Ukrainian territory. After dissolution of Soviet Union and it wasn't immediately resolved and that uh, really uh, unnerved a lot of people in Washington uh, because they didn't want to see a nuclear proliferation and Ukraine was kind of pressured uh, to quicker denuclearize and it did uh, it didn't any have didn't have any idea to keep the weapons so but uh, that was a reason for some uh, hostility there know, more, maybe just too, too strongest a war, uh, some tension rather. Uh, But then uh, the Ukraine denuclearized, and also that's when the famous or infamous uh, uh, Budapest memorandum was signed in the end of 1994, when the Ukraine was denuclearizing, was promised guarantees of security, uh, security guarantees, but actually in the text, they have assurances, so not really guarantees. Another big uh, negative period was the second term of President Kuchma, which is between 1999 and 2004. Uh, when Kushma really got, uh, you know, to be showing his colors as autocrat, uh, you know, and uh, also pressed, uh, pressed opposition, uh, pressed media, and tried to arrange also a falsification of the elections in the 2004, which led to the so-called Orange Revolution. Uh, in that period of time, and also yes, the election not too good, but uh, that's probably the last period of time when you actually had uh, a more or less protracted uh, period uh, of uh, negativity in relations, because up and down, uh, you also have, would have a little flare-ups of misunderstanding of friction, uh, but nothing more. But uh, mostly, like I say, in the 30 years, the U.S. understood that Ukraine is moving in the right direction. Uh, we need to help it, uh, you know, uh, be it security or be it reforms, or be it fight against corruption. We need to help it and maybe push it a little bit gently in a certain direction. Ukrainians also always, always understood that the U.S. is a very important, uh, powerful ally to have, uh, and uh, sometimes even as a patron. you know, it would, would be, wouldn't be hurting to have such a powerful country standing behind you and helping you. Uh, so at the same time, you know, here in Ukraine, in Ukrainian society, we also had a, a, a you know, understanding that uh, not only we need to be friendly with U.S. and expect some support from them, uh, but also that generally, you know, we are... On the same page in terms of ideology i mean we want to be a democratic country they are in uh, many other things so it wasn't just a, a certain uh, egoism or even selfishness of ukrainians that's why we wanted us to support us and give us money you know uh, but uh, also understanding that we basically have sim- similar values you know which is which is meaning a lot and and interest as well and right now i think actually it's even more showing And that for the U.S., what what they're doing right now is a combination of both values and interests in supporting Ukraine. So looking back, casting this uh, glance uh, in a a retrospective way, uh, we had a long road together, some ups and downs, but mostly ups, and uh, pretty good relations to build on. So whatever happened after 2014, for instance, when Russian aggression started, or after February 24th, 22. Russian aggression escalated in U.S.-Ukraine relations wasn't built on an empty space it was built upon the certain building of those relations uh, which already existed.
0: That makes sense and I mean you mentioned the Budapest memorandum and I'm curious from within Ukrainian society and I'm sure of course there's probably a diversity of perspectives and positions but is that viewed in some ways in retrospect as mistake on behalf of ukraine or is that viewed as the only or the best possible option that ukraine had at the time given the kind of constraints and pressures that it was under i'm talking about of course ukraine giving up the nuclear weapons that were stationed in ukrainian territory and agreeing to that for those security assurances
1: well yes most some people here in ukraine like myself i would think it was a reasonable uh, and only possible frankly option at that point of time because uh, well let's not go to the details, but it was it was for Ukraine not to become a nuclear we- nuclear weapons equipped country or nuclear country uh, because uh, if we were that would destabilize the region really and also le- lead to tension and so we didn't have any such uh, expectation to become one and also we should remember that Ukraine was fresh off uh, reasonably fresh off uh, the Chernobyl disaster which happened in 1986. So everything nuclear was seen as a bad light here in Ukraine. So, and, um, you know, between Chernobyl and Budapest Memorandum, we only have eight years. So discussions about nuclear weapons was even earlier to Budapest Memorandum. So there was this lingering attitude in the society and the political elites as well that nuclear is dangerous, it's bad, so we don't need it. So uh, the the big segment of society thinks that uh, we probably made a mistake uh, Indeed, uh, denuclearizing because there's uh, more respect for the country which is nuclear. Uh, so we shouldn't be going for that. And a big pro- proportion of uh, population also believes that uh, the mistake was not that we denuclearize, but that we sell quotation marks, uh, the nuclear weapons uh, for cheap, you know, for we sell short, in, in the meaning that we should have asked for more, you know, actually demand guarantees and not assurances and more. So basically, we should have bargained. Um, more, but again, if you look back into 1994, it's a young country, very unstable in terms of financial situation, badly needing uh, Western money to be modernized and move forward with reforms and economy. You know, and uh, they, we were not in position to bargain for long. There was a lot of pressure at us. Uh, Ukraine was already mentioned often with countries like Libya or Iraq or Iran or North Korea, so we were part of this rogue states uh, narrative, and uh, you know that wasn't good for us. We were actually looking for becoming more involved in international relations and the family of international nations. We needed assistance badly, and uh, therefore, it was a decision made that uh, actually to provide for our security, we need better conventional weapons uh, rather than nuclear weapons. And that still stands, I think. Even the Mm -hmm. the current aggression is showing uh, that, for instance, the potential to use nuclear weapons against uh, Russia or Russian troops right now would be limited uh, in this situation. So we indeed, uh, the better choice is is a is a capable, uh, well, uh, very well trained uh, armed forces equipped with modern conventional weapons. Mm-hmm.
0: If we fast forward from there to just a few years before the current full scale invasion, so we have a constant like deepening and development of relations between the US and Ukraine, and also in particular post-2014 with those Russian incursions into Ukrainian territory. And then we have in 2019 Zelensky elected as president. Obviously, he's still president and has garnered a lot of admiration and attention all around the world since, particularly since the full-scale Russian invasion. So how would you sort of characterize the relationship between Zelensky's administration, so Zelensky's presidency, and the United States?
1: Well, um, the war started, as you say, in 2014, and uh, the initial reaction of a previous Obama administration uh, was supportive, but uh, most Ukrainians believe that the uh, Americans at that point of time didn't go far enough in supporting Ukraine, and were sometimes too indecisive or timid in providing support and applying more pressure on Russia. Uh, even though sanctions were implemented uh, uh, by the United States against Russia since 2014, several waves of those sanctions And there was this consensus in the political establishment and uh, in the Congress as well, in terms of need to support Ukraine and, um, uh, you know, apply pressure on Russia. It wasn't done in the proper uh, manner of urgency and the scale of it and uh, and the strength of, of the pressure on Russia was kind of lacking in the eyes of many Ukrainians. And I tend to agree, you know, the only thing that I disagree is that when people get to say that Obama wasn't doing anything to help Ukraine, that's not true. Uh, obviously, but uh, he could have have done more in this administration. Uh, For instance, the whole debate about supplying Ukraine with little weapons in his administration went uh, to a negative outcome, Uh, they didn't supply uh, little weapons, even though many people, including the current president, uh, Joe Biden, uh, in his administration, Obama's administration, they were in favor of giving ukrainians weapons but then obama decided no not not to i don't want to cross this red line and uh, the same on another side of the, of the conversation russia was never shy of crossing any red lines so probably was a mistake i mean the whole discussion there about the escalation what do you what do you do uh you know in a situation like this if united states you help ukraine more decisively and then you provoke russia to do certain bad things to ukraine Or on the contrary, you help Ukraine decisively. And then uh, by the logic uh, of uh, Putin being a classic bully, he would just uh, withdraw, you know, uh, step back a little bit when he feels a force, strength of American position. So the discussion is still ongoing. Even now, with this current uh, stage of the war, it's very much relevant. But going back to Zelensky, as he came to power in the late spring of uh, 2019, he immediately got problems with Washington uh, because of Mr. Trump. You know That's one of those rare occasions in our bilateral relations when Americans were to blame exclusively for, for the negativity, for the lack of understanding and friction. Mr. Trump, as we can remember, pressed Mr. Zelensky to make certain political statements or decisions that would be beneficial to Mr. Trump in terms of his political domestic uh, competition with Mr. Biden, who was uh, appearing as a main uh, opponent for Mr. Trump. Uh, in the in upcoming presidential elections. So there, there you have this uh, infamous conversation, uh, phone call, I believe, from July 25th of 2019. And then you had uh, security assistance being frozen for several months. And of course, it was strong uh, messages sent to Ukraine. We heard those messages and we didn't know. I mean, Ukraine is a country and Zelensky is a president. And also you have to understand he was a new president. He was an experienced president. Uh, he, you know, he, he definitely struggled with this. He didn't know what to do, you know, and uh, therefore yet uh, the most important thing that Ukraine restrained from making any such statements. And uh, then in the late early spring of 2019, the whole, uh, you know, the whole operation uh, of pressure on Kiev uh, came out in the public light and public domain, and that created, of course, a, a huge political domestic explosion United States, leading to the hearings about impeachment and leading to the first impeachment by the House of President Trump. Uh, on the Ukrainian side, uh, it was all bad, frankly. You know, on the one hand, we were, we were keeping to receiving certain assistance. No one was casting Ukraine in the bad light. Moreover, most people in the U.S. were basically saying Ukraine is a victim of all this scandalous situation. We should even um, help Ukraine even more because it's a victim of our domestic mess, mm-hmm. you know. But still, uh, Zelensky got this impression that U.S. can be uh, nasty to you. And they're not always trustful. And I think the trust was the victim. So that was a bad moment. And also Ukraine's relations, uh, Ukraine's uh, dimension uh, in, in Washington was kind of toxic for a while. Uh, no one was really doing anything, no formats, no new initiatives, uh, the ambassador, permanent adre- ambassador, wasn't uh, appointed for a long time, actually for three years, you know, from spring of 2019 to just a few a couple of weeks ago. There was no, uh, you know, plenty you know, potential ambassador here in Ukraine, in the United States. There was someone who was charged the affair, a caretaker, capable diplomats, but uh, not ambassador. It was nice. Uh, it, was, it was very tense.
0: Mm-hmm. And then how do you evaluate what has been happening since the full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine this year. Has the relationship evolved pretty much in the way that you would have expected if there was an escalation of tensions between Russia and Ukraine?
1: Right. It was a full-scale invasion and uh, Americans uh, got immediately in their uh, fighting quotation marks uh, mode, uh, helping Ukraine. Uh, Why? Because they were planning for this for several months. We understand that uh, at least since the last, uh, late October last year, uh, Americans were uh, preparing for as this eventuality. There were working groups working on this in different scenarios, depending on what, Russia, what Russians do. There was a military preparation under Secretary Austin, preparing for the infrastructure and so studying certain routes of how you deliver weapons to Ukraine if that needed in a wartime situation. Uh, there were even some uh, guerrilla fighting or you know, resistance uh, uh, preparations, like uh, what if some Ukrainian fighters stay beyond the front line and continue to fight uh, while Russian advances further west. Uh, and there was a um, fixing of the pro Ukraine and Russian coalition by, by the administration, also for months. Some of the best people, some of the best people or, or were sent, uh, tons of people were sent actually. Uh, to uh, Europe, uh, to work with European allies. And uh, that's why when February 24th came, there was no time wasted in terms of, uh, you know, you know preparing sanctions. The package was there. It was just a need to push a button and it was triggered and it was implemented. And, and also the flow of weapons started right away because everything was ready. Uh, Resoluteness uh, of uh, American support is uh, is apparent is evident. They are helping with weapons. Uh, I mean, right now there are sometimes delays uh, that are seen in Ukraine as unfortunate, uh, because of course it all cost us uh, uh, very much in the front uh, the front line, uh, lives of many of our uh, military. But uh, there was also understanding that Americans are sending a lot to us in terms of weapons. And not only that, but they also prepare to uh, train our military on certain new types of uh, weapons, uh, you know, weaponry that we don't have experience, our military don't have experience to, in using. And uh, there is also many other things. Uh, some of them, of them I mentioned, the sanctions on Russia. I mean, they are in place, uh, and Americans are constantly looking for ways to improve and strengthen those sanctions. It's not always easy because you have Europe as a partner on their their side, and Europe sometimes is, uh, you know, kind of lagging behind in some ways, uh, depending on who you talk to in Europe. But uh, in general, uh, their position to Russia was always a little softer than American position. So in terms of helping Ukraine, uh, not only weapons supply, but of course financial assistance to Ukrainian government uh, to keep it afloat in a very difficult situation when the economic ruin actually is all around us. Uh, you know, there's so much devastation and uh, that's the problem. Obviously, we're losing tons of money every day from every day of invasion. And, uh, you know, I think the Russians are actually doing it on purpose, we're destroying big cities, big plants and factories and infrastructure. Uh, so they understand now they have to leave at some point of time. At least they would leave Ukraine deserted. In the sense of uh, you know infrastructure being damaged and the industrial base being damaged and even uh, the agricultural lands have been now destroyed by shelling so americans helping also humanitarian assistance uh, helping with refugees uh, they uh, they are ready to 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 host uh, 100,000 ukrainians that's a problematic issue because the bureaucracy is still not ready the president probably says he's ready but bureaucracy is not ready and the whole immigration issue of course or the refugee issue is very uh, politically painful and delicate in the uh, US, but also in many parts in Europe, of Europe. Uh, and also, I think, in Australia, from what I heard. Uh, I mean, you don't, you don't necessarily have only people who are liking the idea of a big influx of someone else from another country into your country. And that's uh, probably understandable. But uh, Ukraine is, of course, in a difficult situation because uh, you have something like one-third of the population basically quickly uprooted and having to leave their places. You know, that's refugees plus internally displaced persons and doing this within like two to three weeks. So and that's unprecedented. I mean, you can find different places around the globe in recent decades where you had refugees and in and, and pretty big numbers, uh, but not like here in Ukraine, not in this number and not in such a short period of time. So Americans are also trying to help this in this situation. And uh, of course, there will be a big role for U.S., but not just for U.S., I think many other countries, maybe Australia will be able to help us as well in terms of restoring our economy and rebuilding Ukraine when this war is over. You know, there is a certain good chemistry, maybe not necessarily between Biden and Zelensky. It's reasonably good relations, I think, smooth enough. Uh, not something that they're close, like Mr. Zelensky is close, for instance, to Prime Minister Johnson of Great Britain and uh, some other uh, but, uh, leaders in the West. But uh, good, good chemistry on other levels. I mean, on the levels of uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, with Secretary Blink and really good relationship, even better, uh, Minister of Defense uh, uh, here with uh, Minister of Defense, so Secretary of Defense of the United States, Mr. Austin, so uh, a lot of good things, and uh, people understand each other, they're sharing intelligence with us as well, uh, which is helpful. They also have, we now know, the certain uh, intelligence officers here in Ukraine working with the government directly, and even some commandos uh, here on territory of Ukraine, certain areas, I believe, uh, away from frontline, but still close enough to, to help prepare Ukrainian fighters. And uh, actually, their work uh, to help us uh, with reforming our military uh, paid off, I think. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as some are saying that uh, all this heroism and cap- capability shown by Ukrainian military in defending its uh, land, their land uh, is only due to what Americans did with training Ukrainian military. That's probably too much. But yes, they helped us with weapons. They helped us with certain training, tactical training. Uh, For instance, uh, the ability to work in smaller units, bigger flexibility of those units, uh, not necessarily a strong hierarchical vertical of power in military. So when uh, when junior officers taking certain decisions, uh, uh, you know, you know. So that was probably one of the one of the things that Americans taught us, because uh, Russian military is uh, other way around. It's very hierarchical. You know, they're not doing a certain single step without a general, you know, giving the command. So. In the first months of this war, Ukrainians benefited from their different mentality on the battleground, you know, and that's why they were, we were able, they were able Ukrainian military we as a country, we were able to, to to, to you know, to, to defeat them in several places around Kiev in, in particular. So once again, uh, pretty good relations. Uh, there's always a limit. I mean, uh, we are already being hinted uh, at uh, that Americans might not give us uh, certain types of weapons because they still fear escalation from Russians. Uh, they're not going to move into Ukraine and provide a close sky with us. Uh, that's clear now after four months of this uh, invasion uh, that Americans don't want to have a direct confrontation with Russia. That's uh, imperative, that's a uh, highest priority for them. And also they don't want to send or any NATO ca- country for that matter, uh, any, any ships into Black Sea as a convoy to escort Ukrainian grain out of Ukraine because that would also bring them in a close uh, possibility for direct confrontation with Russia. So, so there are limits in terms of also uh, how far Ukrainians should go, in terms of restoring its territorial integrity. I assume there is no, uh, you know, not, not, not consensus, but there's no unanimity uh, in the White House. You know, some people think that Ukrainians can actually, the most what they can do, they can restore the borders to February 23rd. And others uh, thought that maybe they can even uh, take Donbass and Crimea back. But now I believe the prevailing mood uh, within the White House that this is out of question. Uh, that it would be a you know, very positive outcome of this war if Ukrainians actually return, you know, regain control all, all over those lands we lost since February 24th. And even some of those, like Mariupol, for instance, uh, I think will be a difficult, difficult issue, uh, both for us in negotiations with Russia and also for Americans to consider uh, that Ukrainians should be taking this uh, particular part, which is a little corridor between Donbass and Crimea. Uh, back so so there are red lines still for this administration, uh, but other than this, they are very resolute, like I said, and prudent and supporting Ukraine.
0: Mm-hmm. And is that also the feeling from within Ukraine? And I'm sure it's a very sensitive and not an easy issue. But is the feeling also from within Ukraine that being able to push Russian troops back to the pre February 24 line of control would be an acceptable? outcome?
1: No, well, I mean, Ukrainian society is uh, a difficult situation because you have a society which is injured, really, or or harmed by Russian invasion, obviously. Uh, If you look at the sociological polls, uh, there is an absolute majority of Ukrainians who who are against uh, any big concessions on territories. Uh, Ideally, of course, it will be a liberation of all Ukrainian lands, uh, going back to the pre-2014 borders, but I think there will be understanding enough of in this country if we go just to what we had on February 23rd, even maybe with losing some lands, like I said, Mariupol or something like that. I think the Russians are going to defend this. Uh, unless they are absolutely defeated on the battleground, then we get uh, Mariupol back. But if there is no clear defeat of Russia, and even in a positive scenario for us, uh, for that's such a clear Uh, cut, you know, uh, obvious defeat of Russian troops in Ukraine, we probably wouldn't be able to even get Mariupol, for instance, back. Ukraine is divided in this. Uh, I mean, they're tired of war, obviously, but at the same time, like I said, they're not uh, prone to any concessions. Uh, That needs to be understood that Zelensky is not a king, or he's he's definitely not Russia, where Putin makes all decisions. Even the stupid absolutely rational decisions, uh, he's making them and no one's questioning them. But here in Ukraine, Zelensky is as a president of a democratic country, so he has to deal with opposition, position, he has to deal with uh, parliament, he has to deal with media, he has to deal with the public, and uh, all of those are very active and right now his ratings are up in the sky as a wartime president, but uh, the moment he starts uh, you know negotiating and giving away some land maybe and giving some concessions as he would have at a certain point of time, there will be a problem with his ratings and uh, he needs to understand that and he can understand that very clearly. So therefore, there is no good, no appetite here in this country for giving the Russians too much to award them for or reward them for their invasion.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense.
1: I think uh, what is also important that uh, Ukrainian military is uh, so far performing heroically, very proud of it. There is massive consolidation in this country, obviously, uh, among, uh, you know, doesn't matter where you live, what language you speak. Uh, everyone is traumatized with this invasion, including a lot of people who are, you know, ethnic Russian, Russian speakers, and, uh, and predominantly in the east and the south of Ukraine. That's exactly where the most of the shelling and bombing takes place. So that's uh, paradoxical in a way that Russians are bombing enthusiastically in the cities where they have actually the highest percentage of pro-Russian sentiment before the war. And of course, the people who spent most of the time uh, in, in, in the bomb shelters in the last weeks and months they're not gonna emerge out of those bomb centers <laughs> having any harboring any pro-Russian sentiment anymore. So it's definitely the end of so-called Russian war in Ukraine. It's definitely end of any soft power for Russia in Ukraine. Uh, so they only now relying on the hard power part of military. You know, and that's was their decision, because actually prior to uh, February 22 and uh, definitely prior for, prior to 2014. Uh, Russia was quite successful, actually, in in pushing Ukraine in a certain direction, uh, you know, and uh, influencing certain political parties, the big part of business, uh, the strong business presence in Ukraine. But uh, they've decided, they've decided, no, that's not enough. We have to use military, you know, because there was a danger of Ukraine slipping away to the West. And that's what they did.
0: Mm -hmm. Which really... Doesn't seem to make any sense, but I understand no. it's what Ukrainians obviously no. have to deal with.
1: Let me say in, uh, in the conclusion that uh, it's very important to me. I mean, we mm. here appreciate a lot uh, any assistance we're getting, and I know that Australia is providing a lot of assistance, so well, I'm really grateful. A statement on Twitter I saw by Prime Minister Albanese. Do I say it right? Albanese. Yeah. Albanese. Okay, so the other way, like Italian way, okay, not not American way. Americans would say Albanese. They would mm-hmm. quit. <laughs> it was with <laughs> the last E. He uh, made the right decision uh, to support Ukraine. I know he was uh, in Europe recently, and uh, and he is also contemplating visit to Ukraine as well. Yes. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. And but also, yeah. it's, it's not just about the prime minister; it's about the uh, Australian population support and we feel it and we know that uh, it's quite interesting because you're hundreds thousands miles away but still you feel that uh, right things need to be done because in this case you have a big war and you have a clearly an aggressive terrible total war with a lot of war crimes so if you are in the right mind if you are really a democratic country and believe in certain values then you know who to stand with and the Australians clearly knew who to stand with and really appreciate all types of assistance we're getting from your country. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. It's definitely affected many people
0: all over the world. What is the best way for people to... To support or to help
1: i think there's no secret i think there is a clearly established now what needs to be done i mean if you can send some weapons thank you And if you can some money to help us to sustain right now uh, you know our economy being and it's a miracle because our national currency is stable our banks are working our credit cards you come to atm it's, it's working so it's Quite, 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 quite a miracle. But to a large extent, that's because we've been assisted uh, so decisively by many friends around the globe. And also, of course, uh, if there is a restoration of uh, a rebuilding of our economy after the war, then of course any assistance would be needed. And, you know, be it financial assistance or technologies or something like that, or maybe investment. You know, if there is peaceful Ukraine, which is defended enough and secured enough. In the future, uh, then it would be a huge field for investment because there will be so much need to to, to build new infrastructure. Well,
0: thanks, Vladimir. Right, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, very
1: much so. So yeah, we'll probably talk again.
0: Thanks for listening, and thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music.